one day some Bible fatheads came up to Jesus and said, what do you think is the greatest command in the Bible? And Jesus answered them and said, you shall love. Notice he doesn't say you shall think. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. But then he says this, with all your mind. We are to love God through the avenue of thinking about God. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Glad that you could join us today for a message from the series, Think, Christianity in High Definition. This week, we'll continue to listen as Pastor Trent tells us why God wants us as believers to think. Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. In order to have some high-definition thinking, we're going to have to define some words. So let's define a word. Here's a word. Theology. Like, oh, that's deep stuff. And I've seen those theologians, and they have those long beards, kind of like the guys on Duck Dynasty, but they're not theologians. But the, and they, they live in these, you know, these really high towers, and, st- and they all, you know, they're on the, ac- the academic campuses like Notre Dame. And pl- please understand this. Everyone is a theologian. Everyone who has thoughts about God is a theologian. Even an atheist, a self-proclaimed atheist, is a theologian because he has thought and made a judgment, eh, there is no God. And the reason he doesn't want to believe in God is because he knows that if there is a God, he's in big trouble. And so he just rather kind of shove God to the side and just convince himself there is no God. The Bible actually says there's actually no excuse for not believing in God, and deep down the inside, everybody really does believe and know there is a God. The question is, what God and what definition and what contour does God have? God has attributes. God has character. God has a personality. God has contour. And if your idea and thoughts about God do not equate with the God that defines himself in Scripture, then you need a different definition of God. Theology is simply the study of God. But remember what we said earlier, God does not just want to be studied. God wants to be worshipped. The study of God is the avenue to the worship of God. God wants to be known And no one can rightly know God and trust God and serve God and worship God without thinking about what God has revealed himself to be. So there's theology. Here's a second definition, high definition thinking. Systematic theology. Ooh, you can impress your friends with this word. Systematic theology. There's all kinds of different theology. There's biblical theology, which is different than systematic theology. A lot of, most of the time around here, when we're going through books of the Bible, when we took two years to go through the book of Matthew, do you know what we were doing? We were doing a biblical theology because as we were studying the Sermon on the Mount, studying those words right there on the page, we were pulling from the doctrines in other places and understanding what we were reading there through the definitions of other doctrines that we knew. This series is about systematic theology. And here's what Wayne Grudem says systematic theology is. 
It's any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? So what we do is we chase down through all the pages of Scripture every time this theme, this mega theme shows up. What does it say in Genesis about that? What does it say in Ephesians about that? What does it say in the Gospels about that? And so we're going to look at a lot of different places, and we're going to look at a lot of different mega themes. Now, I mentioned this, this, uh, this man, Wayne Grudem. Let me just tell you about Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem is a systematic theologian. He's a professor at, I think, Phoenix Seminary in Arizona. And uh, Wayne Grudem uh, is not the only systematic theologian, but he has written one of the best systematic theologies that is accessible and helpful today. And uh, it looks like, it looks like this. See that right there? Sit down and read that this afternoon. Right? Now that, that is a systematic theology that's used in colleges and and, and seminaries for, for guys like me that teach and study the Bible. Wayne Grudem is my friend. I, I like to spend time with Wayne because he puts things, he's a thinker that, that is a better thinker than me and I, I want to grow in my thinking. So he puts things in categories and buckets and defines things in a way that's very readable. This is, this is readable for a, a ninth grader or a seventh grader. You could read this and, and come to some understanding. But uh, it is quite thick, and, and, and it may be a little overwhelming. And so uh, there was a pastor. He's not, not, a, not, not like an academician that's teaching on a college campus. A pastor that's like, I want to get the truth of this into the hands of people. He took this book, and he abridged it. Do you understand the word abridged? He made it shorter. And he, he, he came up with a book like this and just took Wayne Grudem's words and kind of edited it down and digested it and made it more of a pastoral level and, and took out some of the harder things and he made it into this. Wayne Grudem's son, Elliot, grew up and he said, um, we need something uh, to understand uh, just a little bit lighter than that, okay? And so this one is Saint Wayne Grudem's words, just edited and packaged a little different and, and just put in a way that, that you could read it. And this book is available this morning for sale right out in, in the lobby. It would warm your pastor's heart if every person purchased this book. And through the summer, you think in eight weeks you could get through a book that size? Like, it would be a challenge. That's okay. you got eight weeks, all right? And, and you could study this and mark it up and kind of walk through the things that we're going to, because we're going to keep using some definitions that Wayne Grudem is going to help us with through this series. There's another book available out there, and it is this book. If you ask me, Trent, what is your favorite book? Number one, all-time favorite book. It is the ESV Study Bible. Okay, the English Standard Version. There's a lot of great Bible versions out there. The one that we read from on Sundays and we study together is the English Standard Version. The reason we chose that um, is because the guys that actually translated, I don't, I don't read Greek. Anybody read Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic? The Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Well, I don't read those things. And so I could go learn those things or I could trust people that are, know that language better than I will ever know it and translate it into the language that I actually use all the time, which is English. And the guys that did that for us with the English Standard Version, here's the great thing about the English Standard Version, the guys that actually translate it actually believe it's God's Word. Did you know that some of the Bible versions, they're great scholarly translations, but the guys really don't believe that's God's Word? 
They're just smart guys. Well, these guys actually believe it. And these, these, are, these are our guys. You know, Wayne Grudem was on the editing team of this and some other guys. And, 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 and the great thing about the ESV Study Bible is this is the best one-volume book. There is more information in that volume than most pastors have outside of the United States. Right there. You put me on a desert island, stranded, you give me one book. I'll take this one, and I will be fine. And I would, it would warm your pastor's heart if you would get an ESV study Bible. And, and to bring an ESV to church, the reason why, you can bring any translation, that's fine, whatever. But if you, it, it, Harvest is a little different. Have you noticed Harvest is a little different? Um, when we study the Bible around here, I actually call it your attention to words on the page. And if a translator used a different word, you're like, where's that word? And why didn't he use that word? You're sitting there thinking, and we, if we're all looking at the same version, we can study it more precisely and with more clarity. So anyway, I think every member of Harvest Bible Chapel ought to own two books, the ESV Standard Study Bible and one version of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, okay? And we've actually got these available and those available today after church if you want to pick them up, okay? And why are we doing that? Because we want to think in high definition. So let's continue our study here and talk about another definition. We've talked about theology. We've talked about systematic theology. Now we're talking about doctrine. Do you know what doctrine is? Wayne Grudem defines it this way. It's what the whole Bible teaches us today about some particular topic. Name a topic. Let's go find out what the Bible has to say about that. So in this series, we are going to look at seven high-definition doctrines. Now, Titus chapter 2, verse 1 says, you should be interested in doctrine. This is a command to pastors. They are to teach what accords with sound doctrine. The word doctrine comes from a Latin word which means that which is taught or that which is learned, okay? So we're to teach this. And Romans chapter 16 tells us that doctrine actually creates unity about the things that matter most. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And he says, avoid them. And so what creates unity around the mission and the vision of the church is that we are thinking the same thoughts about God. This is what, this is what distinguishes us from Mormons. This is what distinguishes us from Muslims, what we think about God. This is what distinguishes us as a Protestant church from Catholics, and we have some very different definitions of doctrines. You understand you're in a Protestant church, and so we're going to think about what God's Word has to say about doctrines. And in doing that, the reason we do say, oh, but doctrine divides, and it, it's all these theological fights, and it creates such unity, it, it, it creates such disunity, that is a myth. Doctrine creates unity 
Because if we're not thinking the same thing about God, we're not going to be able to commit ourselves to the same mission that God is on. And so we've got a mission in this world and we've got to get the right definitions about what God has to say about certain things. And then Ephesians chapter four says this, that we are to be no longer children. God wants you to grow up in your thinking, not tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. There are a lot of winds of doctrines, standard definition, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, God wants us to think as adults, mature thoughts about sound doctrine. So we're going to look at seven high definition doctrines. We're going to do this next week. We're going to look at the doctrine of revelation. That's not about a book in your Bible at the end. That's about a process that God has for revealing himself. And so we're going to answer the question, what is the Bible? That's next week. And then we're going to talk about the doctrine of God and answer the question, what is God like? And then we're going to talk about the doctrine of man. And we're going to ask, who am I? Why am I so messed up? We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about the doctrine of Christ and answer this question. Why did God get a belly button? Never thought about that? The Bible talks about that. We're going to talk about the doctrine of redemption. How do I get right with God? A lot of different ideas about that. And then the doctrine of the church. What's my family like? And why are they so messed up? And the doctrine of the future. Where is this all going? How is this going to end? And how long do I have to wait? We're going to answer some of those questions in these doctrines through the summer. So we don't just want to think... We want to think so we can know God. Here's the second thing. We want to think because God wants us to love him. This is where we don't just want to be a thinker. We want to be a doer. You can't truly love God without knowing God. And so God warns us. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 gives us a warning. Remember how we talked about the, the pride of our hearts think that because we know something, we are something? Well, this verse addresses that phenomenon. God wants us to feel right affections, not just know right academics. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 says this, we know. You ever, you ever talk to somebody, just, I, knew, I know that. You ever talk to somebody that knew everything? Have you? There was nothing that they didn't already know. You ever, you ever talk to people like that? Did, were you endeared to those people? Like, man, I just love hanging out with this guy. Because he knows everything. How many of you want to move as far in the opposite direction from that guy? Because he, what he doesn't know is that he doesn't know everything, right? And so, First uh, Corinthians talks about this phenomenon. He says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. You ever heard something? I know it all. He says, this quote-unquote knowledge that you think you know, it puffs up. But love builds up, puffs up. What does that mean? It, it means it makes your head swell. All right? Listen, I could run my head into that wall as fast as I can, 
And within a matter of minutes, my head would get bigger. That does not mean I know anything. It just means my head swelled. Swelled. It just means my head got bigger, all right? It puffed up. And we do not want to be Bible fatheads. Puffed up. He says, if you have knowledge without love, it's going to produce pride. But he says love actually builds up. So he says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And so we want to think not just so we can get all the right definitions. We want to think because God wants us to love him. Did you know that thinking is built into the mission statement of Harvest Bible Chapel? What's the mission statement of Harvest Bible Chapel? We say it this way. To glorify God, we exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission. What is that? Going, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, teaching them all things that I have commanded, so we have to think about what God has commanded. But then we go on and we say this. It is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Now, there's a, a place in Scripture, Matthew chapter 22, that we refer to as the great commandment. Do you know what that says? One day, some Bible fatheads came up to Jesus and said, what do you think is the greatest command in the Bible? And Jesus answered them and said, you shall love. Notice he doesn't say you shall think. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. But then he says this, with all your mind. We are to love God through the avenue of thinking about God. You see, when we add loving God to thinking about God, we prevent an arrogant, cold orthodoxy. But thinking, um, thinking prevents a wrong view of authoritative revelation. And thinking prevents a shallow emotionalism that bypasses the mind and the will. So we want to think about God because we love God. How do you feel? How do you feel? How are you feeling? Some of you say, well, I feel angry. Are you angry? You often have feelings of anger. You know what your problem is? You're not thinking right about God's sovereignty. How do you feel? I feel depressed. You're not thinking right. You're not thinking right about God's care and concern and love for you. How are you, how are you feeling? I'm feeling fearful and I'm feeling, I'm feeling insecure. You're not thinking right about God's sovereign control over all things and his ability to care for you. Some of you are thinking that, that you're the greatest. You're having superior thoughts. You're feeling superior to others. You know what your problem is? You're not thinking right about how small you are and insignificant. You're not thinking humble thoughts about yourself. You need to change your thinking. Some of you say, I'm feeling hopeless. You're not thinking right about the future. So if you change your thinking, you will change your feeling. 
And if you change your thinking and change your feeling, you're going to eventually change your doing. Think. God wants us to obey him. If you're not obeying God, you know what your problem is? You're not thinking right. God wants you to obey him. Now, what does doctrine do? Doctrine trains us in the most practical areas of serving Jesus. It changes our behavior. So doctrine trains us. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And so if we think right, we're going to do right. If you're not doing right, it's because you're not thinking right. Doctrine is displayed in our character. What we think shows up on the outside. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 10 say, Younger men, younger men are supposed to think. Did you know that? Younger men are supposed to think. Show yourselves in all aspects to be a good model of works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity. Does that sound like stuff that's just on the inside and never oozes out? No, it oozes out in our character so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Do you see that? Doctrine is to be worn. You ladies, you wear jewelry, you're adorning the jewelry. Adornment is what happens on the outside. And we are to adorn the doctrines. What we think on the inside oozes out on the outside. And if you're not acting right, it's because you're not thinking right. Doctrine will be despised. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that not everybody's a big fan of doctrine. If you're kind of yawning your way through this and you're waiting for five ways to make my life easier, then you just, here's your problem. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And are we living in that day? We are. And I, it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if the attendance of Harvest Bible Chapel goes down during these eight weeks. You know why? Because some people are not going to like what they hear because they're not a fan of sound doctrine. They'd rather have somebody scratch their ears like my little dog Murray just comes up and snuggles up to me and just, you know, scratch me right there. There's not going to be any ears tickling and ears scratching during this series. We're going to think. And if you are wanting to do right, you're going to have to think right. Doctrine drives desires. Got any temptations? Got any struggles? Maybe even in the sexual area? You stepping out of bounds? Is, are you addicted to some kind of sexual sin? You know what your problem is? You're not thinking right. Look at what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He gives a list. In the list includes the sexually immoral. Then he talks about men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. What's their problem? They're not thinking right about God and about way that, the way that God has made them. And he, he puts all of these in the categories of being contrary to right doctrine, sound thinking about what God has revealed about himself. And here's, here's the great truth. No matter what temptation you're facing, maybe it's a sexual 
temptation. Maybe it's that you feel so insecure and so unloved, you could never believe anybody would love you for who you are, so you have to make up all these lies to protect yourself and make you look better in everybody else's eyes. You know what your problem is? You're not thinking right about God. And if you are if you get your thinking right about God and who he's made you to be and how you're operating in this world and where this world is going, then you won't find the need to indulge yourself in any lesser thing. Right theology governs right biology. And if your biology has got all these urges driving you, I can't help myself, I'm just... Get your thinking right and your theology will trump your biology because doctrine drives desires. Here's the last thing. Doctrine changes everything. I, I, I don't know any better way to put it. The way you think changes everything. Now, if you're like feeling condemned right now, like, oh, I just, uh, I, I'm so messed up and I, I can't think right do you know who's written most of the words that I put on the screen, humanly speaking? Is a guy that we refer to as the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a murderer. He hated God. He had such wrong thoughts about God that he hated people that loved God. And he killed them. And then he writes his little testimony about how when God changed his thinking, it changed every component part of his life. He put that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He's writing to his understudy, Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, you know me. And here's what you know. He, and, and he says, here's, here's what I have translated to you. You, however, have followed my teaching. That's another word for that is my doctrine. You know my doctrine. You know my conduct. You know my aim, my purpose, where I'm going in life, my mission. You know my faith. You know my patience. You know my love. You know my steadfast. Timothy, it all flows out of when God changed my thinking. And if you're here today and you're not acting right and you're not feeling right, then you need to start thinking right. And when I think right, I will know God. And when I feel right, I will love God. And when I do right, I will obey God. Now, you put those three things together, knowing God, loving God, and obeying God, here's what happens. When I know God, and when I love God, and when I obey God, you know what you are? I am right. And when I am right, I will enjoy God. It's not about just the right academics, knowing God. It's not about the right affections, loving God. It's not about the right actions, obeying God. It is about the right attitudes, enjoying God. Knowing who you are, knowing what his purpose is, and having a relationship with God that is deep and thriving because now I know God in high definition. We've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. Next week, Pastor Trent takes us deeper into the first of seven biblical doctrines, the doctrine of revelation. 
We'd like to invite you to one of our weekly worship services at Harvest Granger. Join us Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit harvestgranger.org. We hope you'll join us again next week at this same time for Resonate with Trent Griffith, a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Granger.